Welcome to another episode of In the Name of Service, a podcast committed to sharing the untold stories of those who selflessly serve. Each episode features an interview with men and women who have been called to a variety of service-focused roles, such as the military, law enforcement, ministry, volunteering, and more. You aren't likely to know the names of the individuals you meet here, but our hope is by the end of our time together, you'll not only know their stories, but possibly be inspired to write your own in some way. Humble in nature, but strong in character, these everyday men and women showcase what it is to truly be a servant. We're glad you're here. Now here's your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. Thank you so much for joining me today for another inspiring episode of In the Name of Service. I'm your host, Dr. Barb Thompson. As a United States Army veteran and operational psychologist, I've spent my career working with military and law enforcement units conducting in-depth interviews with hundreds of individuals who are hoping to earn their place on high-risk, high-performing teams. In most cases, they've already put in years of grueling physical and mental work just to get a chance to serve and sacrifice more. And that type of selflessness is special, and I feel worthy of recognition. While each person's story is unique and every path to service different, their goals are similar. To do something more. To be a part of something bigger. To make a difference. These difference makers were the catalysts behind this podcast, and it's my privilege to share their stories with you. Today, I get to introduce Amanda Hainis. I was introduced to Amanda through Sabrina Stringfield. So shout out to Sabrina, um, who is an amazing uh, social worker that I had the privilege of working with for a few years um, at my previous unit. So uh, Amanda, welcome. If you could give us the rundown on who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself. Barb, thanks for having me. I, uh, I'm really a small town Missouri girl. Grew up in mostly Southwest Missouri. Uh, graduated high school from Branson. We, uh, many people might not know where Missouri is, but <laughs> it's a beautiful state, at least the southern part of it. And we have a lot of rivers, a lot of Ozark Mountains is, is the region that I grew up in. So we did a lot of hiking paddling, exploring, just general adventures. And so my biggest adventure when I graduated high school was that I up and joined the Marine Corps. We didn't have, <laughs> I tried to go to Mizzou where everybody goes, right? In Missouri. This wasn't feeling interesting. So I did join the military. and It was an adventure in every way. I thought that I might get to see Australia, the Mediterranean. Uh, it's very sad, though. I, I joined in January of 2001. And so things quickly changed after I joined when the towers yeah. were hit, attacked, and yeah. ended up doing instead three deployments to Iraq in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And got out, went back to school, and finished an undergraduate degree in history, and then went on to get my master's in business. Business is really what my mind was drawn to once I took a couple classes there, and then went on to another adventure and took a career in IT, information technology, something about which I knew nothing, 
So the learning curve was very <laughs> Yeah. But the skills that the Marine Corps taught me were in high demand. And so they hired me anyway, did well, had a great, very rewarding career, learning a lot of new things, just enough to be dangerous. And after that, uh, COVID hit. People might have heard of that. A lot of companies <laughs> took, took a hit during that time. And so I found myself part of a large number of people laid off. I was then in mm-hmm. the Kohl's department stores, credit IT department, and a lot of their corporate were laid off and I with them. And for some reason, I can only explain it as God telling me I wasn't supposed to be there anymore. I I got this kind of uh, just a seed planted probably a long time ago, but I wondered what mm-hmm. uh, whether I could paddle all the way through from the headwaters of the Missouri River to the Gulf of Mexico. And long story short, spoiler alert, I did do that. I <laughs> went on a road trip just prior to that. I know I'm putting a lot in here, but this is me. Done a lot of different things. That's you. Um, yeah. Adopted a dog. I love it. He went along with me. And so we did that. And then I wrote a book about it. Just enough went wrong to make it a good story. So we published mm. the book last December. And I've been on the road since then, kind of promoting that and and sharing my story, which is kind of where where you heard of me, I think. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's it yes. in a nutshell. Thank you for that. I love it. How in the world did you end up in the Marines as opposed to a different type of service? Well, it's the hard, it's the hardest, right? I uh, I was reflecting on this just recently, and it's amazing how hard things or things that we grieve send us kind of careening in a different direction. I had just lost a friend. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do instead of college or a new college Mm -hmm. or something at 19 years Mm -hmm. old. And I lost a really close friend in a motorcycle accident. And I kind of went topsy-turvy for a minute. And I just remember driving down the road crying, trying to figure it all out. Saw the Mm -hmm. Marine Corps recruiting sign. I pulled in. I said, hey, sign me up. When do I go to boot camp? And the recruiter Wow. They have these cards they pull out. These are the leadership traits, and they want to go through their little spiel and ask you what you want from the Marine Corps. And I was like, I don't care about any of that. <laughs> Just sign me up. Let's go. And so they, they did, and I was in boot camp less than two months after that. Incredible. When you look back or reflect back on your service. I mean, three deployments to Iraq, that is a lot, especially considering who knows what your assumptions were going in, you know, or your expectations. Can you tell us about, um, for you, what do you think was most challenging or difficult about your time in service? I I think my biggest challenge is is something that everyone would assume it's being a woman doing the doing the job that I did as the first woman to do it was I had a lot to prove and so for a lot of people I think it's easy to understand that being the biggest challenge for me I 
I mentioned my tendency to explore. And I think I kind of probably over embraced that challenge and probably fought a little too hard sometimes, <laughs> a little too vocally. Um, but I, I did end up gaining a lot of respect, I think. Not from everyone. You never will. But worked hard enough to do that. Yeah. My biggest challenge, though, I think personally, was discovering that, you know, the difference in men and women is something we don't talk about a lot anymore. But I wanted to be one of the guys and, you know, part of the brotherhood. And I think 20 years later, I finally realized that that won't ever happen. We're never going to be the same. I will always be their sister, you know, and I need to embrace my femininity in the same, in a different way than they embrace their brotherhood. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly, but I kind of had to grieve that a little bit because I thought I could be one of the guys Mm -hmm. I could gain that respect as it's just not, that's not how we are built. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit like just about your, about your job more specifically? Oh, yes. I didn't mention that, did I? I was a, I was a helicopter crew chief and aerial gunner and the, they had had a couple of three actually women before me that they had been trained in their own squadrons to do it. But I was the first woman to go through the crew chief schoolhouse which is a six-month school that teaches you how to go through that. And and it was hard. And everybody hears that and goes, oh, that's awesome. That's so top gun. No, it's <laughs> nothing's ever <laughs> as glamorous as it sounds, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you were looking for that belonging. Did you find it in your own way? I did. I did. Like I said, I was a 19-year-old hothead. I, I fought my way into combat. Um, turns out I didn't have to. They were planning on using me just as much as everyone else. I ended up spending more time up north on the first deployment than anyone else that we had. Um, our job was casualty evacuation. And so if I'm listing the things that were the hardest about it, what we saw there is, yeah. you know, it's the depth of all human pain in a physical manifestation. Mm-hmm. And so I think that mm-hmm. that draws you closer. And I was lucky with my unit. It, they allowed me to keep a lot of my dignity in the desert. And we bonded in, in ways that you can never imagine. We can't ever imagine or couldn't build ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I think... Mm-hmm. I think I did. Once you accept that it's not the way that you thought or not the way that you had modeled growing up, I think I did find that. Yeah. That is an extraordinary experience, something that most people won't get even close to as far as just the nearness to death that honestly, just the nearness to death that you're seeing an injury, physical injury, how have you been able to process those experiences in a way that still keeps you connected (laughs) 
to, you know, the living and breathing human beings. Yeah, that's, that's hard. Um, I remember just a few years after I got back or got out in 2006, I had to share with my family and I'm grateful for my faith and that I was even able to share with my family to be aware enough to share this, but I had ex- tried to explain to them why I wasn't feeling anything and yes. why I needed the space. And, you know, the best thing that I ever did, it was about, it took about 10 years for me to get to the point of even talking about a lot of this, but just talking about it. Uh, was the number one, mm. I think, healing factor and continuing mm. to talk about it. Being able to acknowledge mm. some of the graphic pains of it because our world, our country has it so easy. They look at you like you have three heads if you've seen this or sometimes right. even like you, like you caused it, like you chose to be there. And yeah. so I think just, right. just being aware of the challenge and talking through it has allowed me to learn that it doesn't have to be all one way or the other. I can have seen it. I can be sad about it. I can have pain about it. But there's also this whole other side of me and of everyone else that that can coexist. Mm-hmm. What do you think kept you from sharing? for those 10 years, even, you know, like with the people you knew you loved you? Yeah, I think it's that they can't ever understand. It's very hard to -hmm. try to put into words some of the things that we experienced and some of the things that I felt. And there's obviously everyone's heard about survivor's guilt. I think there's another kind of guilt that goes along with everything that that we shared and we did. And it's that guilt Mm -hmm. of not being connected when you come back, you feel like you should love your family. You feel like you, these things in our lives here should be important. And so there's a guilt that goes along with that. And what I've realized is once you've lived that close to death, the same things are not important anymore. And our lives do not have to follow a convention. And I don't have to feel guilty about that. And I don't Mm -hmm. know. I couldn't tell you when in time that that clicked for me, but it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a path that continues, right? It's a journey that keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. What just to, I guess, look at the other side for just a little bit, as you reflect back on your service, what, what do you treasure most about it now? That I'm not alone. That I've reconnected Mm, just in the last two or three years that I've reconnected with a lot of my guys and learning that, learning that they're going through some of the same challenges is so uplifting. We had our reunion a couple weeks ago and everyone, I mean, I had so many people come up to me and say, this is what I needed and I didn't even know it. And I had been yes. on the road, on the river reconnecting for the last couple of years. So I knew it now. Um, and so getting to share that and seeing that in them is, is so rewarding because I know that they're going to stay on mm-hmm. that healing path now and they're going to keep talking to each other. 
Yeah, it's it seems so simple talking like we do it every day, but it can be just absolutely the most powerful thing, um, like you said. So, well, you 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 mentioned it just now, but can you take us into now your that adventure um, that led to you um, on a let's see how big was was the canoe 17 feet 17 feet yep with a dog for over 3,000 miles talk us through that like how (laughs) you you planted the seed there but I got to hear more about it yeah well I'll try to keep it a little bit short and not spoil the book I did write the book about it Um, yeah I don't know when I yeah (laughs) when I was laid off I just I love traveling. I love exploring new places. And so I did buy an RV and go on the road. And I spent eight months planning this river trip. And I actually swore my parents to secrecy. I said, don't tell anybody because I'm pretty sure this isn't going to happen. I'm going to chicken out. So I didn't let them tell anybody (laughs) until a couple months before. And my mom, it's 3,302 miles is what I paddled. And some people change, it changes with water levels and the rivers change. But I actually had just met uh, a fellow veteran, a uh, Navy SEAL who, oh, I'm sorry. No, not him. It was the Marine Corps sniper who still lives down in Florida. He's like, I want to go with you. And I was like, nope, I need to, I need to see if I can do this by myself. <laughs> And he totally understood that yeah. he might go do it on his own later, but yeah, people understood that everything I've done so far, you kind of have a team. You know, we grow up on sports teams with families, school teams, the Marine Corps, you always have a team. Uh, this trip, I plan to be completely self-reliant, self-sufficient. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have packages that... The only assistance I had asked for is that my parents would mail these packages at 11 different points along the river. They were my resupply packages, and I researched the USPS so I could walk to these places and get general delivery packages along the way. And I had notified the post office employees that they were coming, but we did. Me me and Hank, his, his name was Canoe when I adopted him, if you can believe that. So it, it was meant to be. I had to adopt this dog. It was. Even that's too good. Yeah. He, you can't make this stuff up. I'm telling you. So no. I, I was kind of trolling the shelter web pages, and I saw this chocolate brown face with brown eyes. He's part pit bull, part lab. So he's a little softer on the pit bull side. And I went to meet him, and he wouldn't come near me. And I adopted him anyway, and he turned out to be a perfect passenger, perfect alarm system. We bonded. He jumped in the canoe fine after the first few tries, um, but we did. We, my parents jumped in with me the first few days in Montana, Upper Missouri River. They got to see the most incredible scenery of the whole trip. And I had my truck there for, you have 17 portages where you have to pull the canoe out and navigate around a dam. And so I was thankful to have my truck there to be able to do some of those harder portages. I still did, I want to say five of them by foot. The longest one was 3.1 miles. 
So you're hauling the canoe and oh 300 goodness. pounds of you three miles. It was 97 degrees that day. <laughs> so I was very thankful for a cold beer. <laughs> yeah. I was very thankful for a cold beer at the end of that one at the campground. Some met some nice people there. But it, it just was a, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. I wanted to quit so many times from Fort Peck in Montana to the Mississippi in winter. And for some reason, just kept at it and finished six months later. And the day we paddled into the Gulf, it was just sparkling sunshine, 68 degrees. It couldn't have asked for a prettier day. A lot of bittersweet emotions. My brother oh, flew in from Chicago yeah. to paddle the last day. So that was fun. We saw one eight-foot alligator. Just can't explain the oh, feeling. We finished though. What what do you think kept you going? You didn't this wasn't anything you had to do. No, and and I said I planned it to do alone. Um and a lot of it was a lot of it was my life has built me up to a point where I know that if you just step into the next moment, we can work through things. But I yeah. God had other plans for me on this trip and it wasn't alone. It was I early on on the trip I met the leader of the Missouri River Paddlers group, Norm Miller. He was out on expedition guiding a trip on the upper Missouri. And he gave my information to the entire Missouri River Paddlers group who live along the river. They have these river angels. They live along the river. And so they would reach out and get in touch with me and say, hey, we live here, Nebraska City, Fort Peck. We're going to come get you. The guy in Fort Peck actually saw my Facebook post about moving water and drove down with his ranger to find me on the river and said, hey, pull in a mile downstream. And they fed me biscuits and gravy for breakfast. So things like that. But my mom and dad, I think when I wanted to quit, they were really the ones that said, Mm -hmm. "Mm -mm. nope, you did not come this far to quit now. I, the biggest part of that, I, I did. The port of St. Louis scared me a lot. It was very hard. And the wind kicked up that day. and. In the six days following the port of St. Louis, I got caught in a rock slide, lost the canoe, and the temperatures dropped down to the 30s. Um, so I'm camping, and, and it, survival just became really real. Then, and so the, the day yeah, after I lost yeah. the canoe, and I did get it back thanks to um, a nice Illinois farmer who brought his John boat out. And helped me retrieve it. It got hung up in the middle, thankfully, and didn't sink. But I just told him, I said, if things don't change, I'm done. I'm going to need you to bring my truck and come get me. And and it was mom. that. And mom's the soft one. Mom never. Like, she should have come. <laughs> Any day of the week, she was willing to come get me. But this time, she said, you didn't come this far to quit now. I think I had 800 miles left. So far, we've learned about, like, or heard about. 
of your adventure because I know that there's so much more. Can you tell us about what catalyzed you to put it all, wrap it up and put it all into a book for the rest of us to experience and what you hope people might glean from the experience that you had? Well, a lot of peer pressure. (laughs) Anybody who knows knows me knows I'm I'm a private person. I don't like to even verbally share a lot of that stuff historically. Uh, but what I learned on the river trip is that by sharing, we get to bless other people who are looking for some of that inspiration or just looking to help people. So I had a series of friends, old and new, who wouldn't take no for an answer. They said, <laughs> you have to get this written down in a book. And so I sat my butt down in a recliner and watched TV while I wrote a book for 10 months. I was lucky that I had kept a journal. I'm not a good journal keeper, uh, but I knew paddling every day, it would all congeal in my mind as just paddling every day. And that's not what it was. It right. was literally right. adventures, challenges, beautiful things every single day. And so I did keep that journal, which made it easier to go back and detail the book. The book's about 180-some pages long. It's a quick read. Part of that is pictures. I couldn't not include the pictures as difficult as that was to lay out, but it's been very well received. And I think what keeps me now sharing, I've been doing some speaking this year too, and what keeps me sharing yeah. and fighting off that private side of me is when people say, oh my gosh, you've inspired me to go out and do this or do that, or just to meet a new person. And I, that gives me goosebumps. That's what it's all about is, Oh my goodness. Yes. yes. Adventures and those little challenges. That's what's gotten me to where I am today is not being afraid to say those little yeses. What do you hope that people take away from it? It sounds like naturally what they're taking away is the courage to take their own risks. But what did you have in mind originally? I don't know if I really had anything in mind. What has bubbled to the surface and some clarity since I was pushed to take those adventures of my own <laughs> in sharing is just that there are so many reasons why we don't. We have family. Mm. We don't have the money. We don't have the time. We don't know what we're doing, right? I, my parents are in their mid-60s and they're going skydiving on Saturday. And what? I like to, <laughs> I know, with an 87-year-old woman who has a terminal diagnosis, she said, I'm paying. That's my gift to all of us. Um, and that's just it's that thing right there where she could say, that's not that important. It's skydiving, right? Could take it or leave it. Yeah. But I think we all come out of, we all come out of those scary things, different people. And I think that's what's r- risen to the surface for me and clarity and sharing is don't let those things hold you back. And when I speak, I call it the big butt. It's our voice in our head. says. I want to do that, but I, mm-hmm. I want to do that, but I don't have the time. I want to do that, but I can't leave my family for that long. Don't let those voices take control. Yeah, definitely. Well, and tell us more about you've got a slightly new endeavor um, where you're helping people. You're serving people in a way that helps them it kind of like create you you almost create the adventure for them you create the risk for them within some kind of safe boundaries where 
maybe you are taking away some of those um, barriers that they would have if they tried to do some of these things on their own. So tell us about True Path Adventures and maybe what your aim is in that endeavor. Yeah, it's so cool. We finished the first two seasons following my vision for it. And the feedback I've gotten has us going in some really different and exciting directions for 2024. The premise was to get youth off of their devices. I've watched for more than 15 years now. Being on devices and social media, eating away at our self-confidence, eating away at our life skill set that we should be developing in those early years. And even adults, we're losing the ability to learn critical thinking skills and just self-assurance. And being outdoors for me has been so critical and life-changing in some of those learnings that I wanted to combine them. And I envisioned it as the ranch. Um, And things just came together after the river trip and after I wrote the book, here I am trying to figure out my next steps with mom and dad and they own 390 acres down here in the Ozark Mountains where they had already cultivated over seven miles of trails. And so what I did is clean those trails up. I added some really um, beautiful campsites and activity sites that are clear of you know, ticks and weeds and poison ivy. So we clear all that out and then give you really structured. <laughs> oh, the places. fun stuff. Really? Yes. Yes. The, the stuff that keeps us inside here in the Ozark Mountains. Right. But yeah. Built, built, those, built those campsites and then I built activity sites too. We've got a rope swing. We've got what I call a balance course. That's one of our team challenges. And then I have really cultivated centers where you can practice different types of fire starting, which is the kids' favorite, uh, different kind of shelter building, uh, water filter. We have you build your own water filter at one. So it's things that I think a lot of people are interested in, but they don't have, like you said, the tool or the space, or they just don't take the initiative to go out in their backyard and try it. So I have all the gear, I have all the tools, and you just come out and hang out and get to play with some of that stuff the way that they do on Naked and Afraid and find out how challenging it really <laughs> that's is. That's awesome. Become, that's the hook line for the kids. It's super yeah. challenging. Yeah. I did not it learn is. survival it skills until, I mean, I was an adult. I was in the army and I had the opportunity to go through a SEER school. And Ooh. I did not know, I did not anticipate, I, I anticipated learning a lot and it being a really great um, experience. Uh, mostly to to learn about the population that I would be serving, you know, after I finished that school. But I came away with like a whole new level of confidence. And it's it is as I've been thinking about it, what you're talking about. It's like, okay, I can start a fire by myself. You know what I mean? Like, I can try to navigate, you know, probably not anymore. I need to relearn those skills. Or I could hunt for my own food and clean my own food like I would be okay like the yep. it, it it is really incredible the competence and confidence that you can learn and it was really fun it's still one of the most memorable uh schools for sure that I went through so what is some of the feedback that you're getting because you it. serve all ages including you know like kiddos which a lot of people would not uh-huh. I think feel called in the area to serve that population and I think it's really 
really crucial. Yeah, there's a couple pieces to that. I, I My vision, of course, started with catching youth early, um, getting them out there. And imagine doing all of that as a kid now without your parents. It's transformative. It's life-changing for them. It's yes. the feedback that I'm getting. They're different yes. people when I send them home. They, but we've had to open it up to adults. We've, I've done a couple of family adventures now because I got so much feedback that it's not fair to just let the kids come out and do that. And, yeah. And you hit on the key. The key to it for all of us is that it's fun. You're out there learning these magical, powerful things without even knowing that you're learning. So there's no lecture component at all. I mean, that you get key points on the wrist. We make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into. Make sure that you have the tools that you need to get, you know, navigate the situation. But my job is very simple. It is to pose the problem or pose the challenge and then sit back. And I think we don't give kids the opportunity as much as we should to do that. Because mm-hmm. we underestimate them. As adults, I think mm-hmm. we underestimate yes. their ability to reason yes. and think critically themselves. And so my I've been asked by several educators, what do you think kids need? And I said, I think they need more room to right. work through a problem. We need to stop giving them the answer. They need to stop Googling the answer. And they need to think about the problem in front of them, the tools that they have, and then logically get to whatever they think the solution is. And if that solution is wrong, we need to resist the urge to stop them before they get there. We need to let them fail. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. then the failure right. is the learning. So a quick story, right. I've got my first season, we were camping out there and it's 82 degrees. Pretty miserable camping night, actually, from the heat. But it wasn't life-threatening that we had thunderstorms coming in. So I had four boys, and they did in teams of two a challenge that one team had won. They won the challenge. So the one team uh, won the challenge, and so their prize was to get the first pick of the tent. I had four tents to choose from, and they were sleeping in teams of two. So first they picked the waterproof tent that was like the Taj Mahal of all tents. This thing was huge, (laughs) but it's pretty sealed off to be waterproof and so with the heat they said this is too hot we don't want it so they picked one of my lighter weight mm-hmm. tents and when the thunderstorm hit it's not too waterproof and I had told them that and let them make the decision they woke up the next morning and one of them said Miss Amanda I don't think we chose the right <laughs> I said I, I, I probably love it, agree with you but yes yeah they would have never known because you know what happens like. Right. Just taking my own experience with my kids. It's it's normal. It's natural. Right. But if something goes awry or is kind of unexpected, um, the way in which they communicate immediately is to complain. Right. And to tell me their experience. And I do. I want to reshape that because, well, number one, like just complaining to be your first response doesn't put any of the responsibility on you, you know, and when they're out there, just his response alone is huge, right? That he took full responsibility. Hey, that was kind of a miserable night, but that was on me, yeah. you know? So, so I learned something. That's so cool. That is so cool. Well, how do yeah, people yeah. find you? How do they learn more? And um, 
you know, maybe throw their hat in the ring for season three. Absolutely. I mentioned uh, we're going through some changes. So we've got some other offerings coming out where we'll have guided and outfitted services for adults too. So we're kind of opening it up to anybody who wants to come out and book with us. I would say the best way to stay in touch with us is to go out to truepathadventures.com and subscribe. And I don't, we don't do a lot of spam. I'm not going to email the heck out of you. But you will be notified at the beginning of 2024 when our changes all go into effect and when the sites for the adventures are available for booking. So that's the key there is okay. truepathadventures.com. And I have another website, amandahanes.com, and A-M-A-N-D-A-H-O-E-N-E-S.com that we've built out. I have been getting kind of on the speaker circuit. And if you're interested in a book or a speaking engagement, that's where you can book me. Awesome. And we'll have all of that in the show notes as well as a link to your book, Digging Deeper. And I just want to thank you for the time that you've spent with us today and your willingness to to open up your life, um, your private life to the rest of us so that we can feel confident to take take that first step into our own risks that we may feel called to. So my last question for you is, if there is somebody out there, you know, when you enlisted many years ago, you probably never saw it leading in this direction to where you are today. We don't know. We don't know kind of where our experiences are leading us. But there are many people out there who have this nagging, you know, in their heart, right? Like there's this little voice what would what advice would you give to that person that has that calling, but they don't know how or where to get started? Well, I say take the first small step. Make sure you say yes, because that's where most of us get hung up, is we just ignore it. It's too overwhelming, or it's too scary, or it's too unknown, and we just don't have the time or the money. I would say ignore that and just take the first small step. You don't lose anything by doing a little research. So that's usually my first step. Um, The other aspect of True Path Adventures is I have been doing some custom consulting that is just like that. Mm. So one of my one of my ladies called and she said, I want you to guide me on the Missouri River. I said the whole thing. I just did that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Been there. Yes. But she said, no, I want I want you. I would never do that by myself. So I want you to help me figure out the logistics to get me up there. It's one of her bucket list items. She's in her 80s. So you can email me or call. Both email and phone number are on my website, truepathadventure.com. And I am happy to do custom packages at any level, whether you need me to just do the first step for you and then kick you out the door on your way or a fully guided adventure. Um, We'll figure that out. That is so cool. And what I love about it is it's getting you out there. It's exposing you to challenges. You're learning so much about not only like the skills required to survive whatever adventure you're on, but you're learning about your own strengths, weaknesses, what motivates you, what keeps you going. And many times when you're kind of in in a really tough situation, the things that are really important to you become more clear. And so just mm-hmm. making it physical first and putting yourself out there for for an outdoor adventure can really help clarify the internal chaos. I love that. Awesome. 
Well, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you for your service. Uh, thank you for the way that you're serving now. And I know that people are going to want to go out and, and read your book and find out more about you. But just want to say thanks for all you're doing. We hope so. Thank you for having me, Barbara. I appreciate it. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for another incredible episode of In the Name of Service. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe. And of course, feel free to share with those you feel would like to be inspired. Have a difference maker in your life that you'd like to see featured? Reach out to Dr. Barb Thompson at in the name of service at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.